0: Well, we started last week talking about promises, the promises that that God has has put in the pages of Scripture, five really big promises that we're going to focus on here during this time of Advent, this time of waiting with the Israelites, not waiting for Jesus' first coming, but, but waiting for him to come again. These promises that that God has given His people and that He's given to us are are, are promises that are about relationship. It's about restoration. It's about Him wanting to have a restored relationship with each and every one of us. Last week we saw that God's promise came on the heels of, of the flood. And it was this promise out of love and a promise that worked to bring hope it was, it was the blueprints, the beginnings of the foundation of, of God's coming to earth. His salvation, His way of salvation for all people. God giving specific instructions of how to be saved to Noah and his family. We, really, we believe that promises are probably only as good as the people that make them perhaps you've experienced promises or statements that well, they didn't maybe have good standing they they didn't come to fruition you know promises happen each and every day in the relationships that we have i promise i'll be there in 5 minutes i promise i won't preach longer than 30 minutes maybe boss I promise it won't happen again but the reality is that promises can be broken often promises are broken when we use those absolute words like it will never I will always those types of absolutes when we're on the side of receiving the promise rather than giving one, it, it puts us in a position to be burned, so to speak. It, it puts us in a position where we're not sure if we can trust that that promise will actually come to fruition in our life if we've experienced those times where we have been burned by people who have made promises in our life, it begins to to create a, a feeling in us that we doubt people. We doubt their ability to make good on the promises that they make. They make us perhaps think that some promises are just empty words spoken out. And In Scripture where we're going to head today, we have a promise that was made to a man named Abram. And, and Abram begins to doubt if this promise will actually come to fruition. We're going we're to begin at Genesis 12, but that's not where we're, that's not our main text for today. The promise that God made to Abram was, was when he was in Ur, this, this country kind of far off, and he said, I'll make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. God calls Abram and Sarah and, and all their their kind of people that they're going to take with them, with this big, enormous promise of blessing all the people on earth, that he's going to be a blessing, that his name, Abram, will be made great. And, and with that big promise in mind, Abram left everything behind while well, he took a lot of stuff with him, like his wife and 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 probably some servants that he had along with them and some other individuals but he was going to go to this place that God was going to show him so so he went and it seemed that that promise didn't come right away it it kept taking more and more time and he didn't seem to have any descendants. Abram, he traveled to this land that God was going to show him and initially, that's basically what God did. He, hey, this is the land that you're going to own, that you're going to possess. All right, now let's go somewhere else. The promise was there but there was already people living in it. So he didn't receive that and so So they went somewhere else and then after God had finally actually brought him to the land and said possess this land then then there was a famine and he had to leave the land and he had to go to Egypt and all the while after year after year after year had passed this promise seemed like it wasn't getting any closer. More time went by, he went back to his land, he rescued his, uh, his nephew, and a priest came and blessed him, and he still thinks he's got nothing to show for it. This promise to be a great nation, this, this promise to be a blessing to all other nations wasn't, wasn't coming, it seemed. Where are all his children? Whereas heirs, we kind of get an experience, a feeling of what Abram's going through if we head to Genesis chapter 15, which is our main text for this morning. It's page 11 in those black Bibles that are under the seats, kids' Bibles, student Bibles, it's on page 19. So let's, let's read uh, this word this morning uh, for us. And uh, Justin, if you want to advance the slides for me. Struggling. All right. Genesis chapter 15, beginning at verse 1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, I am your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, "Seven Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abraham brought these things to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves in opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, "'Know for certain that four hundred years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves,' and after they, were, they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in, a, in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces." On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephazites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites and the Jebusites. That's where we end our reading today. Did anyone notice how many times Abram spoke in that passage? Twice. Twice Abram said things, and in reality he says the same content with different words. He used different statements to convey the same topic. See what I did there? Same thing Abram did. He conveyed with two different statements that he didn't have a son, that he didn't have any children. We see it in in the first part of uh, verse 2. What can you give me since I remain childless? And then in verse 3, you have given me no children. Abraham remembers the years previously when he was a spry 75 years old at, at God's call. And the years kept passing. Year after year after year went by. And he had no children. In his mind, what can you give me, Lord? You know, Lord, you say that you're this shield and and that I shouldn't be afraid and that you're my great reward. But Abraham might be thinking, you already gave me one promise. How am I going to believe this one? How am I going to believe that you're my shield when you haven't even given me a child yet? How about you start there? Start with that first promise, God, before you move on to another one. You're, you're talking about this great reward, and all I really want is an heir. Someone that I'll give my possessions to. Abraham thought, and he, and he thought rightly, if he was going to be a great nation, he at least had to have one child, right? He would, he would need a son. And yet he's in this spot, unsure that the promise is actually going to come to fruition. You know, he, he, would, he thought that, that God would at least allow him to be fruitful and multiply, like, like what he had, he had said to the people on earth. But, but this promise, it wasn't moving at the speed to which. Abram thought it should. And because the speed was moving so slow, he started doubting. Wondering perhaps, will it come true? Will it ever come true? And maybe we wonder too, are are the promises that we experience in Scripture, are, are they really actually for us? We go through life experiencing perhaps problem after problem. Life doesn't come as easy as we may thought and and maybe it takes a lot longer to experience a promise or something that we greatly desire and and we wonder, well, maybe these promises in this book are just actually for somebody else. Maybe these these promises aren't for me because I don't seem to experience any of the promises that God has in there. The peace of Christ that's supposed to be in my heart seems to be masked and kicked around and kicked back and forth by the anxiety that happens in my mind day after day after day. The confidence that I'm supposed to have in Christ, the promise of who He is, seems to be clouded by the doubts that wonder if it's true. The times where God says that he is a refuge and strength and that he is an ever-present help in, in time of trouble just doesn't feel so true when we feel weak. When we feel like it's like we're being attacked from all sides with, with no place of refuge, no refuge among our friends or family in the places that we feel felt should be safe. feel like we're being kicked when we're down. The, the promises, God, that you, you said you'd provide in my life, they're not tangible. They're not things that I feel like I experience. I'm supposed to get rest, but all I feel like is like I'm being worked to the bone day after day. Maybe these promises then, Lord, are for someone else. What can you give me? I don't have peace. I don't have comfort. I don't have confidence. I don't have rest. Lord, are are you someone that just makes empty promises? Are you good to your word? What kind of God are you? Those are our thoughts that, that come in our mind, perhaps, after experiencing difficult situation after difficult su- situation. Just like we would with people, we wonder if we can trust them after they have failed their promises time after time after time. So sometimes, if we can't experience the promises from someone else, then, then we try to to make the promise happen all on our own. We, we try to fix and experience what the promises have to offer by our own means. Well, maybe if, if I want some comfort, I could just go abuse alcohol instead numb the pain that I experience in my life by heading some different direction. No internal soul-searching required. No trust in anybody else but myself. Lord, since you didn't decide to to make me feel secure, I'll just go buy more ammo and guns and then I will truly be secure in my home. Or or maybe instead, Lord, maybe I will save up and store all my money holding on to it just a little bit more tightly so I can put that with my social security for real security. We try to fix things ourselves manufacturing the feelings and the promises that god has for us by our own means and actually that's what abraham would go on to do after god had said you're going to have your own son he decided to try to manufacture god's promise on his own He he said, well, my my wife can't have a child, so I'll take this servant and and we'll have a child with this servant and name him Ishmael and then it will be my own flesh and blood and, and I'll be manufacturing the promise on my own instead of perhaps trusting in God to bring it about for him. Perhaps Abram was thinking, God, it's been like 11 years, come on now. Let's get this train rolling. But the problem is, we can't make God's promises real in our own lives by manufacturing them. You can't sign your name on the promise that God has created. He's the only one that can do it. And that's what we see happening in the second half of this passage. We read about some rams and a goat and some birds and them being cut in half and made a little path. God is is in the process reaffirming to Abram, I have something better for you than anything you can manufacture, anything that you can do on your own. My promise is greater than you can even imagine and I'm gonna be on the hook for everything. So he has Abram prepare these animals, cutting a couple of them in half, and not cutting the birds, and and then, and then he puts them in a deep sleep. But before we get to the deep sleep, this is this actually this ceremony that would go on to, to ratify a covenant between two parties would actually be considered a curse. Because as you or, and your, your other individual that you're making a promise with walk through this path of, of dead animals, what you are saying is, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, may I be cursed like these dead animals, and may this happen to me. So after Abram gets everything ready, God doesn't even let him walk through The animals. Instead, he puts them in a deep sleep. This isn't your dad dozing off on the couch sleep. This isn't I'm just resting my eyes type of sleep. But it's a deep sleep. Tardama is a Hebrew word. It's, It's this type of sleep in which we often see God at work. It's the same type of sleep. That Adam experienced in the creation story when we read about God taking a rib and creating Eve, that Adam was in a deep sleep. It's the same type of sleep that Saul and his followers were experiencing when David came in and stole the water jug and, uh, what was it, and something else, and his spear while he was just sleeping, right from by his head, to show that. He wasn't going to kill Saul. And and it's that deep type of sleep where God is at work doing something that Abram experiences right then and there. And then we read about God going through the animals, this, this image of a torch in a pot passing through these animals and it's God saying, I'll make it happen. I will make this promise that I just told you happen and it all is on me. It's a one-sided promise just like the promise that we we learned about last week with Noah. A one-sided promise. It's all on God and He's going to stake His entire life on it. A pastor friend of mine uh, used an example uh, told me an example about about this type of promise. It's like God is is saying to you, "I'm going to buy you a house," and 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 he takes you uh, to the title agency and then he knocks you out while you're in the car and he walks in and he signs his name down on all the paperwork, saying he's going to take the the bill for it. He's going to take all the the responsibility for it, that he's going to make the the promise come true of all the things that he's doing, and then he's going to walk back out, wake you back up, and hand you the keys. It's God who's going to make the promise come true because it is God who is faithful and it's God who will stake his life on his promises. That's what he says to us the fulfillment of all these promises of Scripture, the the peace, the the comfort, the protection. It's it's all on me. It's it's not on you. And and it it even goes as far to say, you you don't need to co-sign on the loan. You don't need to to pay for the debt yourself because I'm actually going to come to earth and do it for you. You have an idea of what it's like to experience the promise of God, but but you really don't even know half of it. God says to you, I'm going to stake my life on it, and that's what we remember in communion as we gather together around the table. That that in God's promise to your life and and to my life, that, that we don't sign on the dotted line. That it was... Christ who came and signed everything and, and paid for everything on our behalf. Nothing required of you. No, no fixing yourself before coming to Him. No, no figuring out your life before. Instead, the promise of God fully paid for through Jesus Christ, the person of God Himself. It's Christ who put His name on that debt. It's Christ who put His name on that promise. Experiencing death, but then bringing forth new life and taking those keys to death and controlling them Himself. That's what we remember when we come to the table that the promises of God are for you and me and they are only dependent on God Himself. And it's not a a promise that ends in death, but instead it's a promise that ends with life. And God puts his life on the line for us. As we head into a time of communion, let us, let us go together in prayer. God, we thank you that you are faithful. Faithful. That you are righteous, that you are just. That you are a creating God, creating not only heaven and earth, but creating us in your image. We thank you for the covenants and the promises that you've made throughout Scripture. Promises not just for the people in Scripture, but promises that have extended into all of creation and into our lives. That your promises still are for us when we, when we doubt and when we, we turn the wrong way and when we sin, still your promises are, are there for us. We thank you for Christ who, who put his life on the line as the Word made flesh coming to the earth to show us your glory and your grace and your truth and the way. Lord, we we glorify your name and honor your name in this day and in all the days to come. Amen.